April 23rd, 2009, Bernanke was mentioned along with former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson in allegations of fraud concerning the acquisition of Merrill Lynch by Bank of America. I will pause here and say, we've already seen some banks fail Mm -hmm. that have already been sold. But more importantly, we've seen a bank in the media that was clearly teetering on the edge and some very strange things happened. First Republic? First Republic Bank. Damn, you read minds really well. (laughs) What am I thinking right now, Saeed? Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is a special, limited, sexy Friday edition where we're going to talk to you about banking, a lot about banking. Excited? Are you happy? So happy. You excited? We're here on the weekend. I need you to bring that energy level up. Yeah, why are we here on the weekend? Yeah, Chris, why are we here? Why are we deviating? Actually, if you guys would pay attention to anything I say on this goddamn show, I said Friday. I was trying to lie to the audience. I know you were. That's why I called you out on the live. Why, 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 why you got to tell them it's Saturday, man? <laughs> we don't love our families. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> Kids? Wife? What are those? All right, so there's a lot of banking news. We wanted to come in a little early. I'll be traveling a little bit, so this made time for the drop that you guys are going to hear this. That This made sense. And what we want to do is spend some thoughtful time talking about a lot of the stigma in the banking system. We're definitely going to talk about the difference between the Volcker era inflation, Ben Bernanke era inflation. We're going to talk about JP Morgan City and B of A playing a little bit of bullshit games, telling their staff not to poach clients from stressed banks, which bullshit. And we have articles which explain why that's bullshit. Awesome. So you don't even take our word for it. We're going to give you facts. Shenanigans. We're going to talk a little bit about Deutsche Bank, the next in line. The only thing that's, that could possibly happen to them that'd be worse is if Jim Cramer came out and said he loved him. I know. That'd be crazy, right? That would be probably the end of the life for Deutsche Bank. A little bit about how this impacts commercial real estate and you, the consumer, if you're ever buying a house. Then we're going to wrap it up with a little bit of Elon Musk at the end, just to add some sprinkles of sexy at the end of it. A little bit of spice. So, for those of you uninitiated, Paul Volcker was the Fed secretary. The Jerome Powell, if you will, during the early 80s. Yes. We talked about Volcker on the show many times. And, uh, well, in the article that I pulled up from Bloomberg, which I did not read because he can't afford a Bloomberg subscription. Neither can Chris. I don't, but I poach it. (laughs) (laughs) Titled, Volcker's Late Inflation, Bernanke Saved the Banks. Can Powell do both? It really highlights two very different Fed secretaries who mm-hmm. preceded Jerome Powell. Right. But more importantly, every single recessionary economy 
has always been a bit of a snowflake. They're unique. They all look the same at a distance. When you get close to them, look at the details. Very different. And Fed secretaries handled them differently, too. Very differently. So Volcker, who we talked on the show, was known and famous for a double-dip recessionary economy. He did very similar to what Jerome Powell is hoping to do in slaying or controlling inflation by bringing it down. But he did this by causing not one, but technically two recessions in the early 80s. Yeah, and for people that think that Jerome Powell is acting extremely wild during this time, boy, Volcker raised interest rates to 20%. He did. Well, I will say he raised rates to 20%. Yes. But he raised rates slower to 20%. Right. And we hadn't held rates at zero for 14 years, essentially. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah. Right. We hadn't had a prolonged period of zero interest rates where, you know, if you have activity, think of interest rates in the economy as like a pendulum swinging. Mm -hmm. Pendulum swinging. My enunciation is not good. It's all about velocity, right? It's all about mm -hmm. momentum. If you take momentum and velocity out of the equation, nothing swings. So in order to get momentum back in the economy, you got to push that thing up one direction and then let it fall back way the other way. Right. And then you get some momentum again in the economy. It's that elasticity that we talked about in our earliest shows. Mm -hmm. And Volcker, to his credit, he swung the pendulum one way, recession. It swung the other way, recession. But then you got that elasticity back, that right. rocking, healthy, kind of ebb and flow of the economic policy. And he, it was a it was a different time back then for him too because uh, the debt to GDP ratio back then was significantly lower than what it is today. Um, so he's dealing with a completely different like economy, di different markets at the time. Back then, looks like in the 1980s, the debt to GDP ratio was only 31. percent We're well above 100 percent now. Just sorry, I don't mean just, to laugh at us. Just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just, just for reference. Yeah, yeah, the debt to GDP was about thirty percent back then. Now we're over a hundred. <laughs> yeah. So basically, we're we have more debt than we do income. Yeah, imagine tell, imagine speaking to an individual who came to you with, "Hey, I have a, a debt problem. I'd like for you to fix." Mm. Um, my, what, you, my, what was what was the debt problem? So my my current debt right now is thirty percent of what I make. Oh, but, okay, that's manageable. Manageable. Yeah. Okay, so like, how, how would I go about fixing that? Okay, this is what we could do. Now, imagine a second individual walking in the room. Oh, you're answering questions? Oh, I, I have an issue too. My uh, debt to income is uh, above 100%. Yeah, um, you're fucked. <laughs> Time for you to file bankruptcy, my friend. Yeah, it's called a BK. Yeah. And uh, the door is that way. <laughs> yeah, not good. I'm no longer answering questions. Hey, everyone, can you do me a favor? Can you pull up um, Wikipedia for, for uh, Paul Volcker? Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about his history, I think. Volker, V-O-L-C-K-E-R. It's also on the screen. I know he's not going to. Oh, yeah. He doesn't read? Yeah, I don't know if he can find that. Yeah, Yeah. okay, well, he got it. Rune, you talk to your boy. He has no faith in you. No, man. I'm just trying to help him out. I'm going to start muting him soon. Yeah, there you go. No. Paul Watch Adolf Volker Jr., born September 5th, 1927, died December 8th, 2019. Uh, I think the... Uh, the last interview I saw with him was him and Ray Dalio. And we put it up, we played it on we the show. We played on the show. It was yeah. a really good interview. All right. So he is an American economist who served as a 12th chairman of the Fed Reserve from 1979 to 1987. Mm -hmm. During his tenure as chairman, Volcker was widely credited with having ended the high levels of inflation 
suck it, Jerome Powell, mm -hmm. seen in the United States through 1970s and early 1980s. Right. He previously served as the president of the Federal Reserve of New York from 1975 to 1979. Celebrated after the fact. I'm sure there was a lot. There were a lot of people that were not celebrating him during that time, though. Oh, 100%. He was, he was considered to be very controversial in what... The thing is, this is what sucks about the Fed Secretary's job. As much as I might be sarcastic about what happens to Powell and what's going, what's, you know, the perception of him. Yeah. It's really no, a no-win job. Mm -mm. You will always be blamed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I get that it's a tough, tough gig. But uh, scroll down to uh, some of the, uh, the monetary policy stuff. Career, no, go down. Let's get a little bit of color on, uh, no, farther down, farther down, all the way down. There you go. Fed, uh, post-Fed Reserve, no, keep going. Volker Alliance, personal life. Ooh, who's he married? Married to Barbara Banson. Sexy. Mm. Okay, they don't, he doesn't have his stuff here. So maybe it's just prior to the Fed. Then let's go to the Fed stuff. I want to talk about the 1980s. So chairman of the Fed Reserve, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. So Board of Governors 79. He was confirmed by the U.S. Senate on uh, October 2nd, 1979. So this is just before we entered into a recessionary economy, right? Mm -hmm. So inflation emerged as an economic and political challenge in the United States during the 1970s. The monetary policies of the Federal Reserve Board, led by Volcker, were widely credited with curbing the rate of inflation and expectations that inflation would continue. U.S. inflation, which peaked at 14.8% in March of 1980, fell below 3% by 1983. It took three years to go from 14.8 down to 3. Right. We were at 9. And we're trying to get down to two as a tar two to two to three percent target rate, right? Mm -hmm. Really, two percent year, year and a half, year, year and a half. How unrealistic does that sound? Uh, extremely unrealistic, especially when going into it, we know how much of a lag some of these indicators are. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Reserve Board, led by Volcker, raised the Fed funds rate, which had averaged eleven point two percent in nineteen seventy nine. Averaged eleven point two percent. We averaged zero percent. Yeah. Okay? perspective to a peak of 20 percent in june of 1981 the prime rate rose to 21.5 percent in 1981 as well which helped lead to the 1980 through 1982 recession which in the national unemployment rate rose to over 10 percent volker's federal reserve board elicited the strongest political attacks and most widespread protests in the history of the federal reserve mm. This is also unlike any protest experience since the 1922 era, right. so even during the Great Depression. Yes. So clearly controversial. And this is a man, I would like to point out at this point in time, is somebody that Jerome Powell has really openly said that he, that he has a lot of respect for. Yeah. Idolizes, if you will. Right. So it should come as no surprise that some of the things that he was willing to do then, it sounds like Jerome Powell is willing to do now. Yes. But I don't think so. He can't. He can't afford to go as far as as Volcker went. That's why we're seeing, you know, the projection rates stopping at around five percent, five and a quarter, right? I mean, but some something else to add that I want people to know is in October of nineteen eighty one, they saw thirty year fixed rate mortgages hit historical peak at eighteen and a half percent. Dude, can you imagine? But see, so, so keep in mind too, this happened over, uh, gradually over. Three years and their rates were already relatively high. I think they so averaged this like 10%. Was, yeah. So the 10% going up to that, mm -hmm. I know it sounds like a lot, but it was progressive load. Right. Over three years, that's tenable. We went in one year from basically two and a half, three percent rates Probably. to seven. 
Yeah. You know, more than doubling. Yeah. yeah, more than doubling. So I understand the numbers are lower, but the impact, the way we feel, mm-hmm. feels pretty extreme. And then the the way the economy operates now is is completely different too. With I mean, we're going to get into it again a little bit later with the small to mid sized regional banks, you know, making up a majority of the commercial lending space. Oh yeah, and we're talking about how the that impacts the market, and I think the impacts of the market are widely underappreciated. And even Jerome Powell, in his March 22nd press conference, the last meeting, basically said straight out that credit markets are going to start drying up. Right. He called it tightening up. I think it was the the word that he chose. But it's going to be a real problem. Mm -hmm. So while we go on to Ben Bernanke, Arun, pull up Ben Bernanke's Wikipedia page. I want to provide some contrast. I mean, I call him the homie. The homie. Ben Bernanke is a guy I've always liked, not only because he's got a great beard, yeah. Which is my criteria for just, you know, right. sexiness in general. Right. He's also a laureate, right? I believe he is a laureate. Mm. You you and your homies got to keep, you know, keep together. Saying, yeah, exactly. I mean, you guys wear the green vest, right? Or the green jacket <laughs> no, or what no, is it? No, it's, no. Like a, it's like a master's you know, jacket. Is honestly, it yellow? I, I wish I, I could, you know, give, give you some of that information, but it's just for the boys. In What's the, the handshake? What? Give me that. I can't tell you that. You guys get a little like finger wiggle in the middle of it? Is that what that, is that what I happens? mean, there's some wiggling. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, he, you guys both have a great beard. Thank you. Yeah. Just I appreciate you for noticing. Clearly you took the hair in that challenge though. <laughs> All right. Ben Shyam Bernanke? Shalom. Shy- no, is it Shalom? Oh, it is it's an L? Jesus, my gosh, are terrible. Shalom <laughs> Bernanke. He's an American economist who served as a fourteenth chairman of the Federal Reserve from two thousand six to two thousand fourteen. After leaving the Fed, he was appointed a distinguished fellow at Brookings at the Brookings Institute? I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. Do you? You're the, you're the chief economist around here. You know, I don't. Okay. Just <laughs> often stylized, it's, what was it? Often stylized as, as Brookings. It's an American, it's an American research group. Research group founded in 1916. That sounds famous. Mm-hmm. Located on Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C. The organization conducts research and education in the social sciences, primarily in economic. Okay, well, it sounds like a pretty big deal. I mean, you had to. Probably should have known that. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to know that, but whatever, whatever. Anyway, so he won a laureate for research on banks during the financial crisis, more specifically his analysis of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. right? So they, he was the presiding, I believe, Fed secretary during the Great Recession, correct? Yes. Okay. And he wrote a book about his analysis on the Great Depression, which is an interesting kind of perspective if you're trying to look at this from a Fed secretary's perspective, right? This is also the man who set the 2 to 3% target rate as official. I see. So he's had some pretty significant impacts and a, a pretty significant voice as it relates to kind of how these turn of events wound down and what our expectations should be. Okay. He's had a comparative statement on what the Great Depression was. He worked in the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So you would think Jerome Powell would say, okay, I like Volcker, what he did for inflation, because Volcker was battling inflation as a Fed secretary. Right. And even though Bernanke didn't do that, he's known for saving the banks because during the Great Recession, there were all these bailouts. Right. So controversies for the Fed chairman, Merrill Lynch merger with Bank of America. So in a letter to Congress from the then New York State Attorney General Andrew Cuomo, dated April 23rd, 2009, Bernanke was mentioned along with former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson in allegations of fraud concerning the acquisition of Merrill Lynch by Bank of America. I will pause here and say, we've already seen some banks fail mm-hmm. that have already been sold. But more importantly, we've seen a bank in the media that 
was clearly teetering on the edge, and some very strange things happened. First Republic? First Republic Bank. Damn, you read minds really well. You know what, I mean? what am I thinking right now, Saeed? <laughs> mm-hmm. You think about what Jamie Dimon did behind the closed doors. He did. I, I think the Fed did do something behind closed doors. I really do. Because let me ask you this. Okay. In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, we know because they, they were press releases. Mm-hmm. Number one, we're not going to, we have these unre- unrealized losses on our balance sheet. So what? Right. We're going to hold them to maturity. Then a couple days later, shit, we had to sell those, the, <laughs> those, those securities. We had to realize those losses, but don't worry. We're going to raise capital. Right. A day later, shit, <laughs> we got to run on deposits. Yeah. We're going to look to sell the bank. Well, 44 hours after that original, we're going to raise capital. Mm-hmm. They were closed down by the FDIC. I know. Now let's go black, to First Republic. Black Suburbans rolled up. Some black suits came out. Yeah. Regulators showed up, all the branches. Yeah. Knock, knock. Who's this? <laughs> yeah. It's the FDIC. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to need to close down, man. <laughs> Close those doors, bro. That's so fucked up. Really? Yeah. You want me to close the doors? Yeah. No, no. You can still, you, you stay here. We got to talk to you for a minute. Yeah. But um, yeah. close the doors. Who's the one in charge? Yeah. I run this now. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Y'all work for me. Damn. <laughs> that's, that's how they come scary. down. People don't, people don't realize this. Indy Mac, that's how they, they all like literally went to the branch at the same time. Yes. There was, there was somebody at, from the FDSC went to all the branches all at the same time. They were ready to walk in like all on the same day, same time. And I, so I read an article on this today, which so I, I don't know if I put we, in the we show. We got to get someone on the show that was involved in that and interview him to talk about. Dude, I want to bring back my my guy yeah. from from Yale. Yeah, yeah. He, he was in the he was in the White House in the Jim. room. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, Jimmy. I want to bring yeah. Jim back. Yeah, Jim Wilkinson was in the White House. Topher Grace played him in the in the movie The Big Short, and he was in the room when a lot of these conversations were happening. I've been I've been so that was kind of what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to tell you. Now I feel like I'm obligating myself because yeah. people listening to the show, but. I wanted to reach out to Jim and be like, hey, Jim, like, you know, can we have you? We back talked to you before on the show. Right. It was great. You made some upgrades. I promise we're not in the garage anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have his goofy side up, you know, <laughs> side piece name site now. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. What, <laughs> yeah. what if he's like, okay, I did the show with you before when it was just you, but I've been, I've been listening to your show. I can't yeah. trust this guy. You know, you cuss a lot, Chris. <laughs> You're like, I, I blame this guy. This trust, guy next to me. Trust me, Jim. Jim is, uh, he's made way too much money to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll tell his secretary, listen to it for me so he gets the streams and then tell me if there's anything worth noting. Yeah. yeah. That's what's going down there. But uh, I was thinking about having him back on the show because I would love to hear his perspective on all this, given that he was in the room. He had, you know, access to Bernanke and all these things. Oh, I love that. So back to First Republic because yeah. you can't stay on topic. Mm-hmm. First Republic gets a 70 billion with a B. Billy billion dollar line of credit right. from your boy Jamie Dimon. Oh, my number one. That's my guy. And there was some extra money thrown in by the Fed, I think. Then, oddly enough, like a week later, 11 banks throw in 30 billion more. Why? <laughs> they need deposits. 70 billion wasn't enough? Mm-mm. What's going on over there? Dude, I mean, their stock, their stock price tanked 90% in the last month. It was like 40% one day, 60% another day, another 40% another day. Right. I mean, it's not good. Right. Then they were downgraded four notches to junk bond status by their, I think it was by Moody's, was it? S&P. S&P, yeah. yeah. Moody's and S&P have been downgraded everybody pretty aggressively yeah. recently. And I think anybody who taps that Fed term line that you hear about in the news saying, hey, we're going to bail out banks, this Fed term line. Right. Not bail out, but we're going to give banks access to more, more capital. Currently trading at $12 and 36 cents down 123 dollars and six cents 
90.87% in the past six months, First Republic. In the last year, its high was 174. Yeah. So I would say they've had a little bit of a fall from grace. Now, Bernanke did save the banks. Mm -hmm. And Bernanke had a hand in that Merrill Lynch merger with Bank of America. Mm -hmm. Right? But that was a bailout. And bailouts are bad. Really the stigma bad. right now on, on bailouts is bad. We don't want to bail out the banks, 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 banks. AIG got bailed out. According to the January 26, 2010 column in the Huffington Post, a whistleblower, that bastard, has disclosed documents providing troubling details of Bernanke's role in the AIG bailout. Mm. Republican Senator Jim Bunning of Kentucky said on CNBC that he had seen documents which show that Bernanke overruled recommendations from his staff in bailing out AIG. Mm -hmm. It goes on, but you get the point. Yeah. I think I've made my point there clear. Let's go on to Edward Quince. Mm. Who's Edward Quince? Uh, let's see here. The crisis in 2008 also made Ben Bernanke create a pseudonym. What? What? <laughs> Edward Quince is Ben Bernanke? Yeah. Stop it. According to the Wall Street Journal, the false name was evidence in a class action lawsuit against the government by shareholders of AIG, which had been given a Fed-backed bailout when it was near collapse. One of Mr. Quince's emails read, we think they are days from failure. They think it is a temporary problem. This disconnect is dangerous. Very dangerous. If that doesn't sound like First Republic right now, man, I don't know what does. Right. So let's be clear here. When I go on to talk about Jerome Powell and we talk about the banking system, mm -hmm. and I get very rich with conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. and I talk about some dealings that I think might not necessarily be on the up and up, I am not talking about something that has not happened by people we hold in high regard. I love Bernanke. Right. A.K.A. Edward Quince. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, these are things that have happened. Yeah. And Ben Bernanke, without question, he's a Nobel laureate. Mm -hmm. He was a great Fed, sec you know, probably, Fed secretary. Probably for me, overruling his staff. Yeah. He was not a dumb man. No. And I held, I held him in the highest regard. And I don't really know that I don't think, I don't, I don't think Jerome Powell's bad. I think some of the things that Jerome Powell has done with this technology and this generation just look bad relatively comparatively. I mean, it'd be interesting to see after, once this all, like, you know, smooths over, what we find out that he was doing working behind the scenes. Because I heard you on, on the episode with uh, Adam on the live. You, you said, did tune in. Aww. I did, yeah, I tuned in. That's a lie. You listened after where we yeah, both know you did. I, I tuned in though initially, but okay. I was out. And then you did, you jumped <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, I jumped off. You're but I listened to it after the fact, and, you, and you, what you mentioned was... You know, the scariest part is the weekends. Yeah. Right now. Right now. Because I try to lie to everybody until it's Friday. Yeah. And then you call me out. It's a Saturday. It is indeed a Saturday. And this is the kind, this is the period of time where I freak the fuck out. Yeah, because this is where all the behind the scenes stuff starts to happen. Yeah, dude. If you're, if you're a federal regulator, mm -hmm. you don't send your employees out using government IDs and government like back credit cards to the hotels where these ranches are. Yeah. There's people in these communities. Mm-hmm. You send them out on the weekend, they go there casually, and they just get a knock on the door. Hey, <laughs> CFDIC, what's up? What's up? I'm going to need you to close those doors, okay? <laughs> Curtains. Yeah. Is that is that your Rolls Royce in the parking lot? Yeah. Not anymore? Yeah, I'm going to need to take that. That's mine. <laughs> it's mine now. Mine's. That's mine. 
<laughs> but you know, so well, don't move on to the article yet. I, I'm not done with Jerome Powell. So the, the point of the Bloomberg article was: Can can Powell do both? Can he stay inflation from rising so high and bring it down? Clearly, we've seen some you know trajectory from nine percent down to six percent, nine point one percent. But we're not. But that's not the most difficult part yet. No, it is not. Mm-mm. And Bernanke saved the banks with bailouts, but those bailouts led to something that we're missing right now. Yes. We had consumer confidence that right or wrong, good or bad, good use of money, quantitative tightening, tightening, quantitative easing. Nobody gave a shit. People knew that the government were going to back banks and then prop up the economy. The ecosystem wasn't going to fail. Yeah, this shit was controversial, but it stopped the run on the banks after that because IndyMac failed during the Great Recession. Right. Did I put that article in the show notes room, the IndyMac article? No, you didn't. Okay, well, I'll get into that one in a minute. That one's a fascinating one. We'll add this as an ad hoc ad. Mm-hmm. Because I'm cerebral, doc. Yeah. I'm pulling up articles from memories. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get you recording this show like midday. If I did this midday, bro, it'd be a different, it'd be a different game. Yeah. Like today? Like what is it? It's 4, 440 in the afternoon? Yeah. I'm juiced up. Let's I, go. I could tell. I'm ready to party. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You normally get to catch me eight hours later. Like I'm know. tired. Yeah, after a full day. Been a workout. Right. I mean, come lie. on, that's not, a lie. Not a, come not on, not man. I'm not gonna. I can't let that a mental slide. workout. <laughs> <laughs> when Adam told me he was like, "Hey, man, come on, mind pump." I was like, "I don't know that I want to be the fattest guy to be on mind pump, bro." Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else rolled through there. I've seen all of them. I know. I'm not coming with you, so you can bash me this time. Yeah. <laughs> this, you're gonna go up there alone. Yes, that's the one. The room pulled it up. Bank failures evoke memories of IndyMac's 2008 collapse. President Biden said depositors of Silicon Valley Bank Signature Bank would be able to access their money. So IndyMac Bank was interesting. This article, which came out, uh, talked about how Pasadena-based mortgage company lenders downfall, the sixth largest bank to fail- failure in the U.S. history now, mm-hmm. uh, had little in common with the recent bank closures, but some investors will still try to connect the dots, according to Michael Emmerman. An assistant professor teaching in finance at the Paul Mirage School of Business at UCI, right on the corner. So I don't disagree with any of that. Here, here's the thing with IndyMac. When that happened, we had a branch right by my house. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. There were lines outside and around the building. And the person they had do this wasn't like they had now. Now they had the old uh, CEO of Fifth Third take over one of the banks. Okay. And they had another former bank CEO take over one of the other banks and run them. So bank CEOs running banks. Then. It was the chief operating officer, I think, of the FDIC. Oh, really? And he came in to IndyMac, headquartered in Pasadena. And that's a hard job. Like, you're walking into a job. You're not, like, you've never ran a bank before. You've been a bank regulator. Right. But what's that supposed to do? It's supposed to give consumers confidence? Uh, well, you, you can't just shut down a bank. No, right? no, you I know you to... can. But, I mean, having him actually come in and, you know, you know, it, it get put you out. You need there. a management team there. Typically speaking, the management team's wiped out. Yes. And then you need to reassure depositors. Back then, if I recall correctly, it was a hundred thousand dollar FDIC coverage. It was subsequently raised as a result of all this two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. But from from the consumer's perspective, they were waiting in line outside the branches to get their money. So he would go outside and try to get people to calm down and you know to to, to mellow them out, give them numbers, tell them to come back later. But people wanted to wait in line. They wanted their money now. Right. And everyone was freaking out because nobody in their lifetime had seen something like this. Because this has happened not terribly long ago, we actually remember it. It's been in our lifetime. I don't think we've seen people sitting outside of like doors. Mm-hmm. Well, Silicon Valley Bank had a little bit of that. But it, it's certainly a harsh reminder of what can happen. I think 
I think a lot's been learned during the period that IndyMac Bank went down. But reading this article, if you're going to read any article that we ever post in the show notes, this is probably the one you want to read. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a room for the show notes, a different version of this. The one that I originally read, I think it was a Wall Street Journal-based article. It was more of like a walk down memory lane and less like this one's just repeating somebody else, like the professor at UCI's commentary. Right. There's one that I'll, I'll bring up later on. And it's not really something I want to read on the show, but it certainly talks about the mindset of the gentleman. He's still alive. Yeah. He's retired now. And I think, you know, he's not retired. He runs like a consulting firm, but he took over IndyMac as a chief operating officer of the FDSC, taking over that bank and then running it and kind of what he went through, what he experienced. When he took over that bank, there was a guy sitting outside of the CEO's office, which he, occupied okay by the time he got there the ceo had already emptied his office out wow and yeah this is the, this is the article exactly so what a stud this guy is right mm-hmm. so he sees a guy sitting outside of the door and he's been sitting there all day long of the ceo's office door and he goes hey man uh what do you do here and he goes he's got a gun on his waist and he goes yeah um i'm here to protect and he's in the corporate office he goes, i'm here to protect the bank and the ceo and he looks at him and he goes yeah and he let him go like a day or two later wow the ceo had a mercedes under the company's name and he never drove it that was one of the first assets they sold in order to pay back depositors this is a guy in a suit and tie Mm -hmm. he left his wife i think from the midwest or somewhere on the east coast and said i'll be back you know a couple weeks his wife happened to be an attorney working for the fdic too and she knew he wasn't gonna come back anytime soon like he was gonna be busy for a while right but this effectively made his career in a lot of ways. And now he works as a consultant because he wound down like that, that big bank. That big bank. Exactly. So let's, let's get back on point with Jerome Powell and First Republic Bank. In my mind, and I've said this, this is not input from anybody else. This is just me observation, looking at the things that I've heard in the media about First Republic Bank. And I've seen the way they're trading. It paints a scary picture of some backdoor shenanigans. A lot. It paints a, a question of whether they should have failed by now or not, and why. Without, without the help that they received, they for sure would have. I got an example to, talk, to, to kind of break it down. Just between us friends. Okay. Arun, you can listen in. Everybody else, just. Us in the 18 listeners. You don't hear us. Yeah, all 18 of you guys. Love you. Long time. Long time. Don't tell your friends about this. This is a secret. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's just observationally take a look at the events that have unfolded. Silicon Valley Bank was shut down within 44 hours. The FDIC makes that decision. Okay? Right. Because Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. That's true. That's true. Then, it looks like First Republic was having trouble. And then all these strange opportunities came their way. This line of credit, you know, these deposits from 11 large banks. It looks like somebody's advocating really hard for this bank not to go down. Right. Ooh. We know Bernanke did stuff like this. Right. You think Jerome Powell's doing stuff like this? I mean, it, that would be refreshing. Why would that be refreshing to you? Because after receiving that initial $70 billion, clearly they needed additional help. Which is a sad statement, but yes. Yes. Okay. So they needed, they needed another $30 billion. So This is not me opening a beer on a Saturday. This is me a opening moon. a beverage. A blue moon? A Blue Moon Haze. It's a hazy, juicy, pale IPA. Better than that watermelon shit you were drinking a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, that was like hot dog water. It was terrible. Yeah, ter- it was God, terrible. God, I, I was so embarrassed to be drinking that. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it, but I just needed something. Yeah, something. But seeing that they needed additional help, right? Clearly, they, they got $30 billion from all these other institutions. 
these other institutions are just willy-nilly doing it on their own. Clearly, they got direction somewhere. Props to the use of willy-nilly in a sentence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, plus one. Plus one. Yeah. Right? So, so I, I'm asking this question so for a reason. Work, if, so. he's working, if he's working behind the scenes, because he knows, damn, if they got $70 billion and they're still going to go down, this is going to set off all the alarms. A firestorm of problems. Right. Okay. So here is my conundrum right there. You touched on it. Mm-hmm. You touched it really hard. I touched hard, your conundrum? And it, it, it piqued my excitement. Yeah. The drum? Okay. The conundrum. Okay. Conundrum. Annunciation problem again. <laughs> so let's say hypothetically, Jerome Powell and the Fed, we're doing a little Bernanke action. Again, a man I respect immensely. Sometimes they, you got to work behind the scenes. And they don't want banks to fail, but they also don't want to be seen as bailing out banks. So instead, they're using the banks to prop up other banks. Not a bad theory. Brilliant. Brilliant theory. Why not be forthcoming with it? Why? Why not tell? Why not tell the general public that's what you're doing? Because it. Because why in the shadows? Because I, I, for me personally, as as a consumer, as someone who has deposits, I feel better knowing that man. All these players are working together to make sure the ship doesn't go down. But you don't know that one of the players, the the chief player in the game, the the players player, the pl- the player of all players, the the pimp pimp hooray, yeah. The man who pulls up in the Rolls Royce with a fur jacket and the pimp cane, Jerome Powell, hasn't said a goddamn word about being involved in this. Mm-hmm. But neither did Bernanke. Yeah, neither did Bernanke. You found out later on through things that he may have had pseudonyms. Yeah, pseudonyms, yeah. SAT vocabulary. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, you read that. I'm awake, bro. Yeah. Let's go. But to me, it, it, it's almost more refreshing knowing that, okay, that people aren't, clients aren't getting, it doesn't feel like clients are getting poached, even though we know that that might be the case. I know that's meant to be a segue. I'm not going to take that handoff right well, now. Why? That's a good, that's a good not, handoff. I, I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> I want to go down this road a little longer, and then we'll, I'll let you re-segue. Okay. You can double down on the segue <laughs> later on, okay? Okay. Uh, well, for now, we'll call that a foreshadow. Okay. Okay, so look, all these things are happening. Bernanke's involved. They don't want another bank to fail. That should make me as a banker feel good. They want the system to not have failures in it. Mm-hmm. Can they do this for other banks? Will they do this for other banks? Should the consumers be afraid? I mean, okay, so... The fact that you have to think about that answer is a fucking scary thing. It is a scary thing, but just like we, you, noted, you noted on the live with Adam and we noted on the show before, there are these types of swap accounts. There, there is a way to get 100% FDIC coverage. There is a way to get 100% get FDIC coverage. And if that can get marketed a little bit better, if that's what people are more concerned about. But we know... In the interest rate environment that, that we're in now, albeit it's scary as for rates to go up, things start to cost more. Mortgages cost more. Auto loans, the credit card payments, everything starts to go up. But on the flip side of that, you know, you do get higher yielding CDs and money market accounts. But could it not be the case where if another bank is starting to go down or they're seeing a lack of deposits, some money could get swapped back over this way? I don't know. We don't know the context of the 11 banks that provided $30 billion. Right. We don't know the, 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 the deal. Right. I think during a time like this with all the contagion. Stop. I'm going to yeah. slap you. Yeah. I will slap with, you with on a, the show. With all the contagion Which going on. Which camera around? do you want to be slapped in front of? This one? <laughs> this one. Yeah. This yeah. one right here. This one. Yeah. Face on the, slap. Yeah, yeah. The direct shot. We'll get, we'll get the slow-mo later on from the yeah. camera. That is what's causing the fear. And they know. If all the banks know that this is too risky right now. We can't be poaching clients. We can't, we can't have anyone fail right now or another one fail especially a big player. So then why not say it? 
How big? How big is uh, First Republic Assets Under Management? Uh, Arun, can you pull that up real quick? Yeah, can you First Republic Bank Assets Under? I management? should know their asset size, and I don't. I want to say they're over a hundred billion. Is that big? Way bigger. Yeah. Oh, there you go. As this writing firm is forty-eight private wealth practices managing some seventy billion of assets. Uh, that's just their asset management. Um, Rockefeller twenty-three and recruited some to AC, blah, blah blah. No, get um. Uh, sorry, look up uh, First Republic asset management. I'm sorry, asset size. Yeah. Yeah. Asset. So that, I should probably clarify. Yeah, let's clarify. That. First Republic has a wealth advisory firm with assets that they manage. That's AUM, assets under management. Mm-hmm. That's a wealth advisor arm. One of the things that a lot of people believe in the market is historically they've traded well because they have this assets under management arm that makes the client's relationship stickier, mm-hmm. right? They can have your banking relationship and they can also have your your trading accounts or your stock accounts or your custodial account relationship they're what 212 billion in size? 212 billion so approximately maybe slightly bigger than silicon valley bank yeah that's a problem yeah so is that the reason why they got propped up and silicon valley didn't like there, there's the problem it may, may but maybe silicon had so many deposits come out that it was like this can't be safe i have a different theory okay my theory is that I think the FDIC and the Fed are at odds a little bit with how that was handled. Really? I think the FDIC would have liked a little bit more time. I'm sorry, the, F- the, the Fed would have liked a little more time. And I think the FDIC acted swiftly to protect the depositors. And perhaps that's it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the venture capital baseline of what was going on up there at silicon valley was different Mm -hmm. but i believe silicon valley bank was primary regulated by the fed whereas first republic's primary regulator is the fdic but look even during the great financial crisis they let lehman brothers fall down okay so with that being said right and if consumer sentiment this has been going on for the greater portion of like a year now Right. You want to hear something funny about that? I'd have to go back and check the timeline here, but I believe they Lehman Brothers was an investment bank, right? They had at least they had that functionality. Mm-hmm. I believe IndyMac, when they were trying to package and sell them, the investment bank was Lehman Brothers. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. how crazy! I'd have to go back and check. On um, that, but so they let they let Lehman Brothers collapse, right? Yeah. And if we've been going through all this for so long. We saw some hot prints and some data points that the Fed looks at with the jobs report. Uh, CPI start to get a little sticky around 6.5 down to 6.4%. So there you go again. You keep dropping these subtle like innuendos. Like I'm not going to mention, oh, hot, sticky. What? I mean, what else you got throwing away? <laughs> right? Is the next one going to be hard? <laughs> Landing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, consumer sentiment hadn't changed a whole lot. People are still, to this day, Okay, we're going to talk about this now. <laughs> you, can't, you can't force it. I'll, I'll force it. <laughs> Fuck that. Already. No all, segue. Just raw dog in this. We, we said it. We've said it from the beginning, the beginning of the show or for, for a while now that the Fed has said they're going to hold rates for the rest of the year. Don't expect any rate cuts. Okay. Up Unless, until this really tumultuous last two up, weeks. But that'll, that's always the case until something in the financial market like collapse or breaks. Up until something breaks. Something broke. I don't know, man. It's close. 
It's cracking. No, cracking. Silicon Valley Bank went down. Signature Bank went down. But that's not a whole. I mean, that's not the whole. Credit Suisse. That's not the whole sector. Went not down. just yet. If First Republic went down, that'd be a different story. Deutsche Bank's having problems. Deutsche. We're gonna get into that too. We're gonna get into that too in, in, a, in a second. But the Fed has come out and said we're not gonna cut rates. Okay. We talked about it on the last show. The summary of economic projections has come down from five and a half percent terminal rate by the Fed to now five and a quarter. Which okay. is still 25 basis higher than where Which we're at. Which is still, so you can, and the next Fed meeting is on May, what is it? May 3rd, okay? So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of data points to still come out for them to view. But, but, huge but, current expectations in the market. We're just going to ignore the huge but. Yeah, yeah. Huge <laughs> but. The hugest of butts. <laughs> Hot, sticky, huge butt. Sweaty butts. With a hard landing. No hair butts. <laughs> <laughs> market expectations for July. A hundred percent chance of a rate cut. I don't get that. That's I, that, that. That's a huge pivot. Every single time the Fed has come out and spoke, everyone the market's like, "Nah, we don't believe you." Yeah. And yet he still comes out and he does it. Yeah. And still to this day, he's saying we're not. There's still one more rate increase, but everyone is saying, "No, no, 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 no. We bet you're gonna. We bet you're gonna cut." Yeah. Yeah. So because it's look, and they're, they're that's expecting the problem. They're expecting by July it to be somewhere between four and a half. Because every time Powell's on television, he literally says, and again, this is not a knock on him per se, it's just it's facts, okay? Mm -hmm. He literally says, we are going to be extremely data dependent. Yes. The data says, stop, don't fucking raise rates. What's wrong with you? He shouldn't, in my honest and humble opinion, we should have not raised 25 basis points. We should have expected the tame inflation no, over a what, longer period of time. But that's not what he said, though, man. I, what, what he said is this. He goes, all right, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at poor inflation, okay? We're looking at BCE, yeah. right? We're looking at, we're going to look at CPI. We're going to look at housing. We're going to look at jobs. Jolt report. Yeah. Jolt report. We're going to look at these things. And unless there's a major collapse in one of the financial markets. But there, it is collapsing. Not yet. It hasn't okay. though. In theory, in theory, mm -hmm. if Silicon Valley Bank went down, Signature Bank, all these banks went down, mm -hmm. right? Silvergate, I'll carve out as just being stupid. But if First Republic should have gone down and would have went down, had they not have stepped in and backed them in the way we've kind of. Boom. That's a fucking problem. That would have collapsed. Exactly. So again. That was happening before the last Fed increase. Right. So did they prop them up so they could just keep the increase going? Maybe Because that's bullshit. Maybe they know something else that when the Fed's stepping in and they're taking a look, they're seeing that this isn't a rate hike issue for them. Maybe it's something bigger than that. Okay, then fine. So on May 1st, the report from the Fed's supposed to come out about Silicon Valley Bank. Yes. When do we get inside in the First Republic Bank? When do we get the real story? <laughs> when they get bought. Yeah. <laughs> When we read Wikipedia in 10 years in the podcast. Yeah. And at that point in time, we've got so many subscribers. We don't even know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Right now would be a great time to pause and say, if you haven't left an honest five-star review. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could use it. We need it. The algorithm says it. that we're okay, but we feel like we're better than okay. You and the only way that you can say that we're not okay and we're better than okay is to give us an honest five-star review. Well, before we get some people falling off, it's the 40-minute 40, 40 mark. We should tell, talk about the marketing campaign that we're going to do before we get into the other stuff. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's a great idea, brought up by one and only Odin. So Arun and I were here alone. Mm -hmm. The former intern. The former intern. Now senior director. Of something. Doing yeah, audio, everything. Audio, engineering, marketing, the whole nine. Yeah, I, think, I realized the other day, he's doing a lot back there. He's oh. doing the audio. He's doing a lot for you back there? He's doing the, for us. Shut up. He's doing, uh, no, for you back, back there, he's doing a lot? Yeah, a lot back there. Okay. I try to make it as easy as possible by under, eliminating under obstacles. Under, <laughs> oh, he's doing a lot under the table? Yeah. Got it. I I've see. tried to eliminate some obstacles for him to be able to do what he does best. I see. Such a good man. I am a good man. Yeah. Very good. 
So that being said, he uh, he was talking to me the other night, and he said, "Hey, man, what about bars?" And I'm like, "Bro, it's late. Why? It's two oh, o'clock in the morning. What are we doing?" I always think about drinking. He's drinking, and he's like, "No, no, no, no. We'll go to bars near college campuses, and we'll give them a free stack of the higher standard podcast, like beverage coasters, mm -hmm. with UPC codes where they can go to and subscribe to the show." Mm -hmm. Fucking brilliant. Brilliant idea. And got some then, ideas, mock-ups already. And then, and then he took it a step further. He said, you know what we should also do is we should also, on, on the backside of them, so one side will be you know the, the cover of the show, mm -hmm. and on the backside of them, we, some of the best reviews we get, we can have them printed on there. So this is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is that once-in-a-lifetime moment. Don't miss it. Right? When you get that opportunity, you got to go. <laughs> yeah. Eminem said that. <laughs> right i got one shot you got one shot this mom, is it it's your mom's spaghetti moment you might not be able to make it onto the prices right you might not be the next will smith and you might not want to be for good reason yeah because he a bitch yeah yeah <laughs> no but you could be will smith if you wanted to smack chris or myself in a review and we think it's funny enough and it's five stars it That's might make it on the coaster dangerous territory you're playing in <laughs> dangerous but the point of this whole thing is is we need people like you good people mm -hmm. To leave us great reviews that we can share we're going to pick the best three in the next couple of weeks yeah let's just say by the end of april mm -hmm. we're going to pick the best three reviews that's going to wind up in the back of the coaster we'll share them obviously on social media but i mean it's got to be limited to a certain character count too right i mean no no write it write a novel <laughs> yeah. we'll edit out the certain parts we don't like <laughs> <laughs> Right. So if you're listening to the show, you get a good idea for a review that you think might actually help people want to listen to the show, mm -hmm. by all means, hit us with it. And if you don't, then just leave us an honest five-star review and uh, you can leave the words out. Yeah, and if you're listening to the show every week and you haven't subscribed to the show, come on now. Just subscribe to the show. Who does that? Some people like are... Sociopaths? The numbers are, showing, are saying that they're doing it. This is like a psychotic element there we should probably talk about at some point in time. But before we do... You know what I get a kick out of? Okay, let's just interrupt the show. That's fine. <laughs> I know. I cut you off in the middle. <laughs> is the people that are sending you guys dms and myself saying that the show's amazing but they're not leaving reviews leave a review yeah that's right leave a review but majority of them uh, a majority of them have left reviews mm -hmm. uh, they have and if they haven't best believe chris and i um we stalk you yeah <laughs> we talk about you we, we've gone uh into your personal profiles public or not yeah and we have <laughs> we've gotten incriminating evidence yeah. that we think you should know about if you don't leave a review. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking to you right now. That being said, let's go on. Um, let's go up to the next article, Arun. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about how JP Morgan City and B of A are lying asshole pieces of shit. <laughs> um, so according to Reuters, there's an exclusive, exclusive to Reuters. I wonder which asshole leaked this to the media. Right. JP Morgan City and B of A tell staff not to poach clients from stressed banks. How did B of A get 15 billion? 15 billion and you know b of a got 15 billion uh-huh jp morgan chase got a whole shit ton more a whole shit ton more jb you know, is laughing his ass all the way to the bank yeah <laughs> his own bank yeah you know I mean? yeah but i mean of that 15 billion that he got yeah he gave five of it to first republic <laughs> right brian moynihan that doesn't make me feel a whole a whole a whole lot good yeah by the way mark mack what a great name for the ceo of wells fargo Dang. That's a solid name. Hey, Mark, man, I'm, I'm the Mac. I, yeah. Mark Mac. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Mac. He must play Return of the Mac everywhere he goes. Has to. Return of the Mac. And he's like, yeah, it's me, Mark Mac. Yeah, he's got it, that's right? happening, right? Every time he walks home, that's what happens. It just plays. <laughs> yeah, the Return sound of the system. Mac. Yeah, yeah, Return of the Mac. 
That would, that would honestly be my intro to everything. Yeah, they call me Mac Daddy. No. Too much? Crisscross? Yeah. Daddy Mac? Daddy Mac? Mac Daddy, because they, they had nicknames that were inverse like yeah, them. That's what I was doing. Yeah, what are those guys up to? Are they lie? One of them passed. Oh, shit. That's fucked up. That's, why I, that's why I didn't go on with the jokes. That's why I asked. J.P. Morgan, the nation's largest bank, told all employees they should never, this is in quotes, should never give the appearance of exploiting a situation of stress or uncertainty. <laughs> end quote in a march 13th memo extracts of which were seen by reuters only portions of it that's cute the other portion said just kidding yeah <laughs> uh, we don't make disparaging comments regarding competitors and i know this firsthand to be completely bullshit okay i'm not so? going to name any names or which one or what what banks okay this is a hypothetical of a real scenario so let's say hypothetically you and I worked for a bank. Hmm. Okay. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Big boxers. The sexiest fucking bank alive. Got it. We work for that one. I got it. And we issued a cashier's check to somebody. Oh, yeah. And they walked in to someone's bank whose CEO is Mark Mack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And the teller there said, ooh. You got a check from Sexy Bank? Yeah. And the client goes, yeah. It's cashier's check, though, so it's money good. It's a negotiable instrument. Yeah. Um, we're going to credit you with 400 bucks up front. We're going to hold it. Uh, but Mark Mack, the Mack. <laughs> the Mack. <laughs> he wants us to have a prolonged hold on this check because it's you know, a little uncertain over there at Sexy Bank. Oh, man. That's been happening. Hey, that. That's crazy. I know. I so when I used to when I used to work at Wells back in the day, what you could do is, you know, you can first of all, it's a cashier's check. So it's oh, it's good. Mary Mac. It's a girl. Yeah, I was Mary about to call you out. I was like googling who's Mark Mac. Yeah, Mary <laughs> Mac, Makes CEO. It, oh no, the CEO of Consumer and Small Business Banking. So not not okay. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you ever Google who the CEO? Because I used to know the CEO, Tim Sloan. No, that was that was the last. Yeah, one. Who, who's the new CEO? I don't know. Then go back to this article because I want to read. I want to read her quote later on. I know this. This is an awkward pause. Are you Googling over there? What are you doing? Yeah, he's doing it on the separate screen. Yeah. I know. I feel like we should have both of his screens in visibility so we can see what he's doing over there. Charles Scharf. That's right. Yeah. Charles W. Scharf, whose like, bio is reading and now disappeared. Looking like Anderson Cooper. Thanks, Arun. There he comes back. Born April 24th, 1965, as an American investment banker, of course he is, and business executive who serves as the chief executive officer and president of Wells Fargo. He's previously the CEO of Visa, Inc. and BNY Mellon. So two shit companies that you know, nobody's ever heard of. Right. And has been independent director on the Microsoft Board of Directors since 2014, so he is not poor. <laughs> no. No. Johns Hopkins, BA. NYU Dang. Master's in Business Association. He decided to take on the role as CEO of Wells. That's not an easy job. Yeah, especially given the Give, current situation. Yeah, given the current situation. So Mary Mack, CEO of Consumer and Small Business Banking at Wells Fargo, sent a memo to staff on Thursday that said, quote, we should not engage in any activity that could be perceived as taking advantage of the current situation to the detriment of others. This is some good, good old... Seems a little contradictory to what our client was told in Sexy good, Bank. This is just some good PR that they're trying to get out. So why why did this happen? Why Why was this... Who, what dick leaked this out to the media and said, Reuters, I need you to do this. Yeah. Because we don't want to. We don't want to seem like I'm, we're I'm the, ba the I'm bad guys. I'm going to this out there, right? I'm, I'm 
it, it's Saturday, five o'clock in the afternoon, uh-huh. aka Friday. Right. And um, I'm going to say Jerome Powell did this. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's got a pseudonym. Come on. Jimmy P. Jimmy P. I don't know. You think? I don't know. Why would else? Who? They have quotes from every one of these banks. It's an exclusive to Reuters. So I'm going to give you an exclusive opportunity to speak to all these people at these banks. Right. It just seems weird. Well, now, we this know, is the same time. We know. Go, go to the, uh, you pass it up. Go to the other article. Yeah, because we, we know that these, Perfect, these large institutions saw a wild number of deposits. And we're going to get into that wild number of deposits because we don't know 100% the dollar amounts, but we have an approximation. <laughs> okay. This, according to CNBC, same day as the other article, by the way. Mm-hmm. Same day. Coincidence? Nearly one hundred billion dollars it's a billion man these billions are starting to become it's billions everywhere <laughs> i mean it's at a point now where it's just like can hey, i get a trillion hey can your boy get one i'm just saying i need i need i don't even one i need like 500 million i'm good that's it you yeah. keep the billions i don't need all that just i don't need to pay extra taxes uh-huh. nearly 100 billion in deposits pulled from banks officials call system quote sound and resilient quote from the article data shows that the bulk of the money came from small banks. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> oh. Get, get, what? I would have never imagined. Okay. <laughs> Large institutions saw deposits increase by 67 billion. We know that B of A had 15 billion of that. Mm-hmm. Let's just say City B of uh, City Bay yeah, yeah, uh, Wells. Mm-hmm. City Wells and uh, not Chase, it wasn't the one. B of A not Bive. There's another one. I'm missing the fifth one. Whatever. Let's just say they each got 15 times yeah. three. Yeah. Okay. 30, mm-hmm. 45 billion. That means you're telling me JP Morgan Chase got $22 billion, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're not poaching anybody. No. Yeah. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. No. While smaller banks saw outflows of, are you ready for it? Large institutions saw deposits increase by $67 billion. Okay. Smaller banks saw outflows of $120 billion. That's a lot of money. I'm pausing for emphasis. Mm-hmm. $120 billion. The withdrawals brought total deposits down to just over $17.5 trillion. There it is. Jackpot. Trillion dollar number. And represented about 0.6% of the total deposits that have been on a steady decline over the past year or so following $582.4 billion since February 2022, according to the Fed data released Friday. Money market mutual funds have seen assets rise over the past two weeks, up $203 billion to $3.27 trillion, according to the investment company institution data through March 22nd. All, all this springboarding off of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and what's going on with First Republic and now Credit Suisse Right, Swiss, Swiss. So, data released Thursday showed that institutions took a daily average of 116 billion dollars of loans from the central bank's discount window, mm. the highest since the financial crisis, and they've taken out 53.7 billion from the bank term funding program. All right, so two different things here. The bank term funding program is an opportunity to provide banks bridge liquidity. In the event that their underlying deposits were to run off, this would give them more lines of credit or, or more credit to tap into to offset those losses. Exactly. But 
It is unknown currently, but likely to be the case that pulling from that would be a required SEC disclosure. I can't imagine a world as a publicly traded company where that wouldn't be required. Got it. What do you think happens during earnings season, particularly the second and third week of April where banks report? And they get grilled. And this is on their SEC filing. And they're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. sexy bank. Yeah, we're actually not taking any questions right now. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you say to the analyst. That's going to be a required disclosure. That's going to be out there. Mm -hmm. I guarantee that's going to have impacts that, that, that are pretty obvious, right? Did you pull money from this? Why did you pull money from it? Did you need it? Right. The other part of it is the, is the Fed window. The Fed window works like federal home loan bank advances, right? You pledge collateral to it, and then mm -hmm. you get access to some of those, some of those uh, portion of those dollars. Right. So if I have a $100 million loan, I pledge it to the, to the federal home loan bank. I can get up to, let's call it 50 or 60% of the loan amount because I'm leveraging collateral to get that. Right. So you can say, I've got a loan out to somebody for $100 million, but I can also get another $50 million back. Mm -hmm. as extra cash if I wanted to use it to give somebody. Right. There's extreme examples, but people pull together aggregate pools of loan and that's how it works. Right. So they're giving all this access to banks, but I think we're in a position too where if you tap some of this access as a bank or you have a need to, it might hold you over right now. Right. But then what happens during earnings seasons when you have to disclose this? I know. with all And all that money that's coming out of these these small banks I mean, we've talked about it before. It doesn't matter. I know people, a lot of people who don't understand banking have, think, you know, bankers, there's like this negative stigma that, that's tied to them. You know, banks, yeah. bad. Big, bad banks. All you banks. All bad. Bad, 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 bad. bad. All you guys are bad. But even which is if, unfair, by the way. Which is extremely unfair. But if even if you're running the most prudent, sound business model, you're well capitalized, as a small regional bank, it doesn't matter how well you run it. If people start pulling out this this amount of money, there's no way you could survive. No, you can't. That's why run-on banks are so dangerous. Prior to this, we've said on the, on the previous shows, I think two of them. Typically speaking, the only way the banks failed uh, historically had been if you make bad loans. Right. Right. If your loans went bad, you went under. Mm -hmm. That's not, that isn't the only case. We saw bad loans in the Great Recession which led to a lack of confidence in an institution mm -hmm. and that led to a run of the banks. And while the run of the banks ultimately expedited the, the demise of these banks, it was really the bad loans that started the lack of confidence which moved forward. Right. In this case, it's very different. This is the snowflake of this recessionary economy. Mm -hmm. there, aren't no bad, there aren't any bad loans so far. Right. At least there's nothing that's visible in the, in the community as like a sector that's a problem. Right. It's the interest rate risk. The Fed has increased interest rates at, a, at an unprecedented cadence, putting all these securities and all these bonds and all these loans underwater. I didn't get to this point of, of the Instagram live with you and Adam. I know that you guys said it in the in the beginning that you were going to touch on uh, commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's you know most concerning because you know more than eighty percent of all commercial real estate loans are now held by banks with fewer than two hundred fifty billion dollars in assets. So companies like First Republic, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Companies like ours, yep. right? Like the, that that's a lot. You know, and in a high interest rate economy, what happens? You know, some of these commercial real estate properties, the values start to come down mm -hmm. because, you know, the cash flow is not there anymore. So I should tell you from my experience, this market has been split up into two different types of types of lending. Mm -hmm. And this is gonna sound very counterintuitive to most people that are brokers in the space. And it simplifies the market, but I think in a lot of ways, it gives people vision. Right. 
There are the massive, massive retail centers, the big-ass loans, hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe in some cases, 50 million plus. Mm -hmm. Those go into conduit, insurance money, right? Those are a cheaper source of funds. Everything's typically one-off, completely custom deal. The loan documents are negotiated. The deal terms are negotiated. Everything's unique. The small balance lenders, the, the small middle market banks, they don't play in that area. Mm -hmm. They don't have the money for it. Their cost of funds is a little bit higher than that. And they're not trying to do this completely custom one-off business. Right. They want consistent widgets types of loans where we can use the same loan document set. We can negotiate maybe one or two things here and there. Mm -hmm. They want consistency for homogeneity in a portfolio. Right. Similarity in similarly situated assets. Mm -hmm. Well... Most of the retail centers you see out there, look down the freeway when you drive. Right. Look down the road when you drive. They're not these massive complexes. No. They're buildings. One building here, one building there. In New York, they're all massive, different. Yeah. yeah. But in most cities around the country, hence the reason why 80% plus of this retail is, is, in, is in this sector. Yeah. They're smaller buildings. Yeah. 10 million, 20 million. Five million, four million, three million. Yeah, individuals own this. Families own this. They've owned it for a long time. You know, it's not. It's yeah. not a big corporation that owns this thing. Generally speaking, no, they're yeah. not. And one of the most fascinating parts of my my career that I've now, I, I've come to accept is, as kind of the coolest part is I get to see behind the curtain a lot of these things. But it started off simple as me driving down the road and seeing all the names on buildings and going like somebody owns these businesses. Yeah. You almost tune them out. You go on autopilot when you drive, you don't see them. Right. But when you actively look around all the businesses you pass up, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere, man. Yeah. They're everywhere. They are. In most of those businesses, in most of those buildings, they're financed by community banks. They are. 60% of business lending happens at the community bank level. Yep. Re community regional yep. banks. We, we talked about it on the 80% of the commercial real estate you talked about. 45% of the consumer Consumer loans and what people sixty percent of single family residents home loans happen at the community bank level. And what and what a lot of people also don't realize about this is some and some people think this way. It's sad, right? They 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 don't understand it. They think, oh, if they own this retail strip, then they're rich. It doesn't this you know the economy taking a hit doesn't really affect them. What they don't understand is how this real estate game is is played. Is it's a leveraged game. So a lot of these real estate investors, what, what they're doing is they're getting these, you know, three-year, five-year, seven-year IO loans, right? Mm -hmm. Or had been. And now that IO is drying up and they're going to have to refinance. Well, what's going to happen when they have to refinance and interest rates are significantly higher? That deal doesn't cash flow at the loan amount that they currently have. Yep. So what do they have to do? They have to bring more cash in. to Or sell. Or sell, and, and then who's gonna buy? And then who's gonna buy? And then yep. if no one, if no one's gonna buy, what's gonna happen? They're gonna have to sell it at a, at a loss, right? We spent a lot of time on the live talking about that. The asset quality review function. Banks are required to look at the numbers of this, this these kind of assets on an annual basis. Yeah, and it's scary in some sectors. Uh, you have exposure to office right now. Yeah, you're still not over 60 percent occupancy. No, because like this is this is what we mean the the rate the Fed raises the these, uh, the interest rate at the, over the last year has been so like wildly fast that when banks do their stress testing, even like we said, a prudent bank that stresses a loan when they're underwriting it like 2% above what the rate that they're, that they're going to be getting quoted at, 
it's now above that. Mm-hmm. They, you can't plan for an event like this. No, hence unprecedented. Yeah, yeah, hence unprecedented. So now imagine the big real estate players that have hundreds of properties, mm-hmm. and now they have to start refinancing. And if if we talked about it before, the pain is in the hold. Yep. Like this isn't going to go over anytime soon. Well, I mean, they're obviously the growing segment of the community that thinks it's going to end in July with rate cuts. Yeah. But I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I'm hopeful. I mean, it helps me. If, if it helps us. If it, that, that's, that's what happens. But I don't see it, right. frankly. The and Fed if, is and not. If, if that does happen, I mean, something broke and who knows what could come after that. Yeah, 100%. Well, and look, the, the, the really good, the smart, the smart, solid players in commercial real estate, they have already been planning for this. Mm-hmm. they've started tightening up they don't expect to see any new deals they're they're kind of delevering to the extent that they can they're improving cash flow right and they're just trying to create efficiencies because they know that the money they're gonna be making for the next year maybe two yeah it's not coming from acquisitions and leveraging up mm-hmm. it's coming from efficiencies in the existing portfolio because they're not going to be buying anything that's going to make them mo- more money right now right it's going to be all about how do you get your debt service coverage ratio up how do you make more money in each one of these properties absolutely and that, that's going to be what's driving this you want to go, I'll give you a choice here. Rare choice in the show. You want to go Deutsch or do you want to go to Custodia? I think we should go, let's go to Deutsch. Deutsch, because, what's going on at Deutsch? So Deutsch Bank, right? Germany's largest lender. Total assets approximately $1.3 trillion. Yeah, okay, the Germans is, have a lot of money. Yeah. This, is a, this is a different game. Okay, we're not talking about First Republic. Yeah, we're not there. They are massive yeah, they're they're viewed as one of the global systemically important banks you know so yep. like if th- this one can't go this one can't go under right and right now there there's concerns there's concerns with them and a lot of that stems from uh the rising cost of credit default swaps um and i wanted to get into that a little bit because i know we've cited it on the show oh So in a a very basic format, imagine a person is buying a home, okay? And every month they're paying their mortgage and they're paying a little bit of principal and a little bit of interest. Now, if a bank wants to hedge their bet on this loan, if they're, for whatever reason, they're they're fearful that, you know, something's going to go wrong with this borrower, they're going to go to this other financial institution that's offering a credit default swap, which they will ensure, they will guarantee that if this borrower no longer can pay for this home, we will make sure you're fully covered. So just to be clear here, a credit default swap is a default yes. risk hedge. It's a hedge against default. Yeah, it's a hedge against, if, if, this, if this person that said that they were going to pay you can no longer pay you, we will step in. It's almost like insurance. Which we will get your money. Which anecdotally is one of the number one criticisms of Silicon Valley Bank was, why didn't they hedge their downside risk on these securities? Well. Mm-hmm. The answer is actually a lot more simple than you might believe. Right. It wasn't an economically viable strategy. Right. The hedge would not have, they would have lost as much money as they probably lost now on the mm-hmm. hedge. Right. And there's somebody who's going to listen to the show and be like, no, you're not talking about, I've done the analytics, I've looked at it, that's real. Okay. It so, wasn't economically viable. So, you know, in theory, this all sounds fine and dandy. Okay, what could go wrong? A lot can go wrong. Uh, a whole lot can go wrong. And, yeah. And, uh, and to break it down in, in simple terms, okay, just like banks, Okay, if there are only, let's just say there are only a handful of these financial institutions out there that are offering these credit default swaps. There really only are. There's not a lot. That's the scary part. Yeah. So if there's only a handful of them 
And let's just say there's a market collapse. You jack prices up, baby, to the moon, like Kramer. But but what if a lot of people start coming in asking for that hedge, now pay me for this debt, and these financial institutions that offer these credit default swaps are not well capitalized? Oh, yeah, yeah. The reinsurers, if you will. Yeah, so like the people that you... The, the insurance company that you go to ask for, hey, can I get my money now? That shit went wrong. They'll be like, oh, yeah, about that. Get in line. A lot of people went down. Uh, I can't pay everybody. Mm-hmm. And then that's bad, right? Now, imagine, this is the sad part about it. The original borrower in, in this example that couldn't pay their loan, they're the ones labeled irresponsible that got a, a mortgage too big and that couldn't afford their mortgage. And what were they doing? Bad, bad, bad. Now forever following you. But these institutions that did the same exact thing don't get labeled with anything. No, they get labeled a big bad bang. Yeah, yeah, but they'll be fine again, you know. See, I don't like this rhetoric though. This is what bothers me about that whole that whole like the institution will be fine. Well, companies are supposed to be bigger than people. Yeah. That's the whole point. That's right. why you got a board, that's why you're a fiduciary. Like mm-hmm. I get it. But companies aren't bad. Maybe some of the people who work for them, maybe, but I mean the the some of the companies that maybe are taking on too much risk. I will say this. Okay, that's fine. And they do. And Silicon Valley Bank. Insurance, took on some is, insurance stuff. is one of the longest hustles, man, of all time. Oh, yeah. Religion and insurance. It's got controversial a, statement. I recognize. Con, yeah. Controversial. I won't get into religion, but the insurance. Yeah. All I'm saying is, is people pay a lot of money into these things, institutions. Mm-hmm. And what do they really get out? Yeah. You get comfort of some type. Yeah. In a worst case event scenario that something happens, I die, I, my car gets in an accident. I get compensated. I get made whole. But do you really? Yeah, it's my, one of my favorite Chris Rock bits. What? He's like, if if I pay insurance company in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, can I get my money back? All I'm saying is, is like, if shit don't happen for a year, I should be getting a discount. I mean, something. Like, my, my here's why. Like, if insurance was fair, this is what would happen. Let's say my insurance is $1,000 a year on something. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a claim in a year. Next year, it should be. $900. Right. The next year, it should be $800. And it should keep going down until I get to like $200, a ridiculously cheap number that I could never get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It makes me sticky. I'm not going to go anywhere. Sticky, huh? Sticky icky. You did it. I did it. You took it. <laughs> and it's it, it provides value back. Or if anything, like give someone like a bond or something back. Like this whole like greedy ass insurance world of like, hey, I'm going to charge you this because this is what the risk is. Bro. Yeah. Why? What are we doing? Yeah. And, you know, they're all playing the same game. So they're not, no one's going to be the first one to come out and do this because. You don't even get me started on the asinine cost of healthcare in this country. Oh, my God. Fucking absurd. Wild. But so that's the issue. So the price of you know, credit default swaps is going up, which is the biggest, the biggest concern with Deutsche Bank. They're, they're a huge size. Now, they're one of the, like we talked about, one of the most important banks in the world. So they're one of those banks that's too big to let fail type of situations, right? But here you go. The five-year credit default swap was recently quoted at 223 basis points or 2.23%, according to the S&P Global Market Intelligence data. The high point over the last decade was 2.69% in 2016. Mm. The equivalent cost for swaps tied to less safe subordinated debt was 5.58%. That's the highest since April 2020. The write-off of the $17 billion from Credit Suisse, Suisse that we talked about from their t- additional Tier 1 bonds, that's what's making people view European bank debt as very risky. And their primary regulator, FINMA, yeah. 
just jacked rates 50 basis points. They're like, <laughs> that's your problem. Yeah. You know, and to take it a step further, like, so this is, you know, a German bank, right? The economy doesn't just work in our borders, right? Not anymore. Not anymore. This is, it's, it, it's a global economy now. I did, I did some uh, more research on that, too. You did a lot of research today. I thought you were unprepared Chief, for this show. Chief economist of the Higher Standard Podcast. Shout out. Uh, you shout yourself out? Yeah, shout out, shout out to that guy because you know that guy's on the clock. He's on it. When Saeed's on board, it's like, come on, you never know. The level happened. of happiness you have right now is very <laughs> confusing to me. <laughs> this, is, this is very so, awkward. So why you ask why do euro banks matter to the U.S.? You know, we know it's a global economy. So I looked up. You know, France's inflation is at like seven percent. And the French, who cares? Yeah, but I mean, it's <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it globally it matters, right? No, everybody in Japan. The Japan's core inflation, albeit it's low, it's still it just came down from their forty-one year high. Even Japan, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's it's affecting everyone all across the world. So one hundred percent is. Imagine this how, is a worldwide phenomenon right now. Yeah, this ain't just this ain't just pretty to us. No, not at all. Yeah. And the wars that are going on. I mean, Russia, Ukraine, just one of many. I think in a lot of ways, but the the, the civil unrest across the world it, it has reverberating problems. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see China meet with Russia. Do you know they made oh, pancakes I saw, together? I saw them. I was like, why the fuck are they making pancakes? I saw them on stage together, yeah. It was very weird. So that all these things that are happening, these all have implications. Mm-hmm. So allegedly, like, there's the Ukrainians were to be blamed for, like, the Russian gas line that blew up in the ocean now or something like that. These all, these all impact oh, so many economies. Right. The nexus is so wide and complicated. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh we're running low on time. I want to get to custodia a little bit. You mind if I jump onto that one or you want to go on to yeah, the next one? Yeah, let's go. Uh Odin, can you scroll up a little? There you go. Right there. So Custodia. For those of you who don't remember, Custodia Bank was a bank that tried to get a bank charter for 27 months. They wanted to get access to the Fed. Mm-hmm. And they were a cryptocurrency bank. At least that was their intention. And uh they had a, a bit of a, a different game plan. They they were um trying this <laughs> ro- Robin Hood like, like we're disruptive. We're trying to go against the grain of the system. We're trying to be different and change the way you think. We're democratizing the space. <laughs> right? So good at this. Thank you. Well, who would have thought the centuries old banking system and its regulators were like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. We should not do that. <laughs> and they denied the charter after 27 months of work. So, Here's here's what happens, okay? Just and we talked about this in the last show. You lease your charter as a bank, you don't own it. Right. You violate the terms of your charter or you don't do the right things or you break your covenants and your responsibilities, i.e. your regulatory thresholds for numbers and metrics they track you with. Right. They take that bitch back. Right. And they put in somebody else. Like IndyMac, they drop in the COO of of the of the regulator and say, "Hey, guess what, guys? You're not working today." Mhm. FDIC in the house. <laughs> do their thing. So the last thing you want to do is fuck with the regulators after they tell you you can't do something. There's people you don't want to fuck with. Yeah. The regulators if, are on that list. If you have a partnership with the regulators, and I think that, that we hold them in the highest regard, mm-hmm. it to can a be- standard, yeah. It, ooh, I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. It can be a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay? Don't threaten to sue them. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. That's a bad move. That's just bad juju. Yeah. <laughs> this is an official statement from Custodia Bank. And they came out hard in all caps. So I think they're yelling. Should I yell this in the podcast? <laughs> no, 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 please. Custodia stands firm in response to the Fed. Okay. Yeah. What did the Fed do to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. They said, we don't like your model. We are not giving you a bank charter. 
Damn, That's somebody, what it said. Somebody hashtag in the Fed. <laughs> yeah, bro. They're, they're trying to like, what's going you know, on? This fractional banking system doesn't make any sense. And uh, our system is better. They fundamentally do not understand. And and hashtag and the federal government. Yeah. We'll see the, you get what's a little, going on, yeah, bro? Yeah. <laughs> what right wing group do you belong yeah. to? So historic bank runs in the last two weeks underscore the dire need for fully solvent banks that are equipped to serve fast changing industries in an era of rapidly improving technology. That is the exact model proposed by Custodia Bank to hold. $1.08 in cash to back every dollar deposited by customers. Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve took its eye off the ball and allowed bank-run risks to build at traditional banks mm. while simultaneously engaging in a crackdown against the digital asset industry at large and Custodia Bank in particular. Custodia Bank was approved for initial launch by both its primary bank regulator and independent compliance consultant last fall. But the Fed and the Kansas City Reserve Bank refused to follow the law, leaving Custodia no choice but to sue. Custodia has not been intimidated by the Fed's coordinated attacks and behind-the-scenes press leaks of confidential custodia information. The recent released Fed order is the result of numerous procedural abnormalities factual inaccuracies that the Fed refused to correct, and general bias against digital assets. Really? Mm. Rather than choosing to work with a bank utilizing a low-risk, fully-reserved business model, that's, that's a cryptocurrency bank, Yeah, called Oxymoron, right. the Fed insists, instead demonstrated its short-sightedness and inability to adapt to changing markets. Perhaps more attention to areas of real risk would have prevented the bank closures that Custodia was created to avoid. It is a shame that Custodia must turn to the courts to vindicate its rights and compel the Fed to comply with the law. Get the fuck out of yeah. here. Yeah, man. Uh, Let me know how that goes. Yeah. You know what's not going to work? This. That, yeah. This. There are diplomatic ways of handling situations. This ain't it. This no. is what happens when you got your shit out of luck. You got nothing else to go. No, no, no. This is not. This is not how I want my bank to respond. If the Fed had a Twitter account, they should respond. Hashtag put the crack pipe down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all you got to say. Oh, come back here and get you a whooping. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag bitch, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just hashtag powder me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so absolutely ridiculous. The fact that you're actually at the balls. To use the current banking crisis, if you want to call it that, or the, the banks that have failed as a way to say that your cryptocurrency model is better is fucking sad. Right. And the comments, Rune, if you want to get deep in these comments, they are stuck on stupid. And I had to explain to some of these people why this was so completely wrong. Mm -hmm. So completely wrong. Um, I can't believe so many people. It's, it's all well said. Whip and spur. What the fuck does that even mean? Uh, with you. Is the Federal Reserve able to follow the law, question mark? Right. What? Come on, man. This is... Yeah. This is craziness to me. This is great. You're the only corporate account I have the notifications turned on for. Keep it up. This can't be real. This is real. The Fed, quote, it's irresponsible and hazardous to be solvent. We would never encourage such behaviors, end quote. I'm telling you, that's, that's sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, here we go. This is one of my favorites. You got, you got a couple of them here that I like. The presence of fully solvent bank possesses a systematic risk that everyone will move their money out of the fractional reserve banks, a.k.a. all the banks that are currently in place today, <laughs> and into a bank that is secured by design, not by wishful thinking. So you're right. You're right. I, I, oh, shit, he got a site. Yeah. It's the all secured. The Fed denied this cryptocurrency bank's application because they had invented a better model of banking using cryptocurrency. Right. And they were worried that all banks in the United States were going to close down and flock to this one because their model is superior and safer and more sound. You know what? Yeah. Why are we invested in crypto banks? <laughs> Well, that's right. They don't exist. They don't exist. Because the ones that did just failed. Exactly. This one will too. Uh, I, got, I got nothing. I got nothing. Why it's, is this going viral? Where's all the Bitcoin maxis? I don't even know what that means. No joke. I would donate a GoFundMe to this lawsuit. Wow. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's there's a real cult-like following to all this. Matters. I want to point something out. And, and I don't think any, any of you guys have caught it yet. Look at all these comments. Keep scrolling, room. Keep scrolling. Look at all these comments. Do you notice something? What, at Custodia Bank? No. All right. Click on any one of them. Pick, pick one of the profiles and pick one. Do you notice anything? No. Not a single one of these are actually verified accounts with, oh. with Twitter Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a single one of these. Which they only have to pay $8 for, right? Right. None of these. See? The only way to prove you're not a bot account is to is to be a verified account. So Arun's clicked clicked on three. Mm -hmm. Not one. These are all crypto people, but none of them have a verified account. They haven't supplied their ID. That is the fundamental problem of cryptocurrency people. This could be yeah. From BSA AML purposes, this guy literally has a picture of himself holding a Bitcoin flag with the V for Vendetta mask on. Come on, man! How am I the asshole here, bro? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crypto OG, class of 2012. Why would you say less? Why would you want that to be your identity, even if that was a real person? Because they they don't want their identity. So here's, here's one. Jason Dodd. Let's click on him. Or Chase Mayu. Discipline turns into electric liberation. Partner, head of operations. Coral DeFi in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Advisory bird, another uh, advisory bird, advisory board, another DAO. No photos of this individual on it. Anyways. Do we notice the trend? How long do you get, how long do you get for this to all go away? Oh, they're never get the charter. Never. No, that'll never happen. Jason Dodd, engineer, entrepreneur, dude. I've also noticed that dude is a very common way of self-describing people that are men that are a fan of cryptocurrency for some reason. Dude, dude. I, they all have like the word dude in like their their bio. Oh, really? I don't. I don't know. It's like there's a lot of dudes in, in bios. Weird, right? A lot of dudes in the Dara game. Albright, fintech pundit, podcast host. Oh, must be a brilliant person. Board member and educator of participate to earn economics and macroeconomic solution that ensures ample retirement savings. What was her comment? I guarantee you it wasn't in complete support. There's no way. Hmm. Replying to Custodia Bank and the Fed. God damn it. Oh. No inflation to see here. Please disperse. Oh, there's no inflation with crypto. That's what they're saying. I, I don't even. We should get her to. Uh, yeah, just. Like, just. Bring just, on as a guest. Just wild volatility. How did how have they had like 80% drops three times in the last 10 years? So I, I had this conversation with, with like a huge crypto fan the other day. And I was like, hey, man, like um, just throwing this out there. 
it's not a very secure underlying asset. Yeah. Yeah, man. But that volatility, there's a finite amount. And once it's going to go to a million dollars, I'm like, stop. Stop with this. It's going to go to a million dollars. I don't care what you think it's going to go to. I care where it's at today. Right. And more times than not, they're going to tell you all these things that it's going to do, not where it's at right now. Yeah. And I'm like, stop looking at like, like where you think it's going. I can't make a loan on where you think the value is going. Hmm. I can make a loan on where it's at today. People don't underwrite you based on how much money you think you're going to make in 30 days. They underwrite you on how much money you made historically. Exactly. What you've done in the past. Right. That's what a lot of people don't understand. They don't, they just fundamentally don't, they don't get it. <laughs> All right, man, look, it's been a long show. It's been a long show. You're going to leave me next week. You're going to miss me? I'm going to leave you next week, but I got a little bit of bad news. I'm also going to Chicago the week afterward. So we're going to have to- Wow, you spring, he's <laughs> yeah. bringing this on me a week before? Yeah. yeah. I love you. We have to record two shows on Monday. Done. But I got a plan in place. And I was going to tell you something, but I forgot. Shit. Oh, that's how sexy I am. You are wearing shorts today, which I don't usually see at night. Yeah. I usually see with nothing on. Right. At night. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate you tuning in for the special, wonderful, all-bank edition of The Higher Standard. I am the dumber host, and that is the chief economist of The Higher Standard, the one and only the smarter host. Wow. Are you doing this? Saeed Omar. Say goodnight, everybody. We appreciate everyone. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.